Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pagan World Radio with me, your host, Ed the Pagan, and uh, and I'm so excited to be here and uh, enjoy the day with you. Uh, I'm so grateful and can't wait to say so. Welcome, my fellow adventurers. This is the show for you, the explorers of the day. I am waiting for on. Uh, of course, on the first moment, the first day, the first second, we have our first kind of snafu. It happens all the time in radio. But we're going to have Melanie Silver, and then, and then we're going to have our first book, taking book, Travel Magic by Lisa McSherry. We're going to talk to the author, Lisa McSherry. Um, and so I'm so very excited, and I'm so glad to be back on the airway. I'm at the Pagan, and uh, I haven't been a broadcaster for over 30 years. And uh, it was so exciting. Okay, let me go ahead and tell you my story. I am known as Ed the Pagan across the world. I have been in radio of one form or another since 1991 with Psychic Chicago Radio. Uh, I started that in Chicago. was one of the first pioneers into Pagan Radio, as to Perfect Llewellyn and their histories. Um, I went on from there to do more radio, terrestrial radio in Chicago, and eventually also did telepathic radio, radio that gets into the mind. And then I was one of the first podcasters with Pegasus Night Radio, Sunday Network, which pretty much has come to an end. Uh, Wishful Radio still exists. Every station is there. And so <clears throat> I've been playing with uh, Shapes of Sounds, but today I'm coming back. Yes, I've done over a thousand interviews with people. I love asking questions. I love being really part of, of the pagan world. And I have a lot of projects in the place. So people would say, hey, just start your radio show in the midst of everything else. I need it for the clarity of my mental health to reconnect and to redevelop. And I really do love my pagan community. And so, but for their ado, this is a show, a talk show. You can give us a call in. Um, we'll be doing more of that as we come along. I want to thank my se- first 17 listeners or uh, listens uh, that have come, and I really do appreciate that. Well, tomorrow, I hope there's a bigger number. And so one of the things I want to do, introduce is Melanie Silver. Melanie Silver is an old friend of mine. I actually looked it up, and I've known her since 1992, 91. There's the first mention of her in 92. Oh, my gosh. To give you an idea... And yet we're very young people. We're not, as you would call that. And she has done a lot of things. Most recently, she went to Parliament of World Religions and uh, having graduated with your MFA. Is that correct? Yes, I did. My master's in fine arts from Columbia College, Chicago. And your thesis was particularly interesting, and and you're now performing it, Um, teaching it across, performing it. Oh, my gosh. I've been talking, doing too much television. Um, but teaching it, you taught at the World Parliament of Religions. You've now taught it at the Fellowship of ISIS Convention. And you're getting quite a bit of attention for it. And that is, let me see if I got it right, the hidden labor of women in ritual. Close. It's women in the invisible labors of ritual. Okay. <laughs> and what do you mean by that? Let's get right into that. What does that even mean? Well, women for millennia have been a breadwinner, a mother, a homemaker, all kinds of things. But a lot of what they do is not recognized, is hidden. And basically with things such as arts and crafts, a lot of communities, women are the ones who are using these things to make ends meet in order to buy things that their family needs, whether or not they have a partner in their home, uh, their single parents or what have you. So I basically am taking this concept and exploring it throughout different cultures using art. Wow. And you have, you know, images and photography of that. So that's, 
That's fascinating. I mean, I think people really are interested. And you do a lot of beadwork. And so one of the things you show is like the beadwork that people have done too. Yes, uh, beadwork is a very common thing in a lot of cultures. You'll see beadwork from almost every continent on the planet, basically, African, Asian, the Americas, all over. And beadwork is something that is fairly easy for most people to learn and can also bring quite a good income for most women. And there you go. So arts, crafts, when you see the craft, the beading that we bring out to pagan pride, all of that. That's all a part of this concept, isn't it? I mean, we go out to pagan pride and we see booths full of handmade jewelry, beadwork and arts and things of that nature. Does that have part of it? Oh, definitely. Um, a lot of what you'll see in many conferences and uh, pride events are done by a lot of indigenous members of our community and they're stylistically different than all different secular groups, such as what I do. Basically the majority of my work is, is secular in nature. Although I do use symbology uh, from my personal cultural background, I don't use uh, symbols from other cultures because I don't believe in cultural appropriation. Okay. Isn't, and isn't beadwork, somebody told me that beadwork is also a language into itself. It conveys language through its symbolism, the order of the beads. It all has like really deep meaning if you really understood it. Um, it can. Um, in, For example, very uh, indigenous cultures in the uh, North American continent use beadwork on their regalia. They'll use symbolisms such as different birds and animals to convey their spiritual meaning to that community. And there you go. This is the quality of Melanie Silver's thesis. Isn't that remarkable? Um, I suspect she'll have a book out soon. But talking about <laughs> books. Oh, um, I hope so. <laughs> well, we're all looking forward to it. So we're all behind you, Melanie. And uh, we will remind you from time to time. Um. So in the, in the world of books, and Melanie Silver is the head of the Order of the Library, which is a Corellian order that's an, and, and an interfaith order as well, looking to and developing books. And, uh, we're, and uh, you're at the strategy stage. We're at the strategy stage of, of building that. Uh, but today, let me go ahead. It just happened, was announced today about, I don't know if anyone would say, uh, Red, uh, Wiser Red Wheel, Red Wheel Wiser. Announced they picked up the Quest, our own in our own area, Quest, the Quest Publishing House of the Theological Society. They bought it, and to preserve the, those books, so Red Wiser has now bought that, and they brought on three partners. One of them out of Chicago. Uh, uh, we've we've watched it. We've been amazed. Uh, crosswinds, uh, yeah, Three Crows Crosswinds. Um, all of them have now suddenly become. Part of it, and I thought that was a very interesting, uh, unexpected thing. I think uh, today that they're pagan publishing, at least from uh, Red Wheel Wiser, uh, which were once two separate co company. And let me go ahead and get that right. Um, that they have now picked up Quest Books, which is Theosophical Society. Uh, and they also brought in Cross Crow Books, which is Chicago. Right out of it, we saw that growing. Moon Dust Publishing and One Woman Craft Publishing. So they're distributing for them. Um, and that, you know, the Quest Books is right out of Wheaton, Illinois. So two out of mm -hmm. four of those things came out of Illinois. That's a major move in the book industry today. Hurrah! Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Cross Crow Books is a division of Malloway Brothers, which is a local metaphysical store in Chicago. Quite a, a wonderful place. Very interesting. They have all different kinds of things. Um, the owners mm -hmm. are wonderful people. They're always holding different events around town. And I highly recommend uh, you visit them when you get a chance. And, and do the site. So they've taken on a different tactic. They're they're doing something I think that is both incredibly important, incredibly powerful, and t 
totally possible in today's print-on-demand and low-print things is they are republishing books. They're republishing older books. They're keeping older books in print. What do I mean? Uh, They just did Raven Gurmasi's witchcraft books, Uh, working with his wife, Stephanie. They just brought that back. Uh, Deborah Lips' uh, Four Winds books just came back. I have a copy of it. Uh, So they're bringing back – they're bringing in new books. But they're also doing as really quick, and it's a great way for them to grow, intelligent. I mean, the Malibu brothers are really are smart. Um, they started out with uh, subscription boxes. When I first met them, they were doing subscription boxes on the Internet. And now they're, they're going to become a major force in the, uh, in the community ahead of us. So, yay. And so further, Melanie is going to be helping me. We're going to be doing, uh, as you see, a little bit later on, I'll be playing. uh, I will be talking with uh, Lisa McSherry, Travel Magic. And every day I plan to present at least one pagan book to our audiences. There's so many of them now, whether new or old. But if you have a book and want to be at paganworldtv at gmail.com or just uh, DM me and let me know that you do. And Melanie or I, and we might have other people, will actually interview you for your pagan books. I'm looking for short 20-minute interviews. About We'll be happy to talk about your pagan book and why our audience, which is actually bigger than people realize, um, would want to want to read your book. And or you want to be an advocate of a person's book? We'd like to have that too. Or if you just want to review books, paganworldtv at gmail.com. We're, we're ready, anxious, and happy to help. Um. So, yeah, I, so I think this idea of preservation of libraries is coming in. So. Well, most definitely. Uh, it's such an important thing, especially right now. Um, you know, we have mm-hmm. so much that's available online, but not everybody has access to that material. Believe it mm-hmm. or not, um, there are a lot of areas in our country that do not have reliable Internet service. And they still rely on paper books. And some people actually prefer paper books over uh, electronic media. And that's a great thing. We have such a diverse availability of materials to help everybody who wants to learn. They have that access. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So let me go ahead and... uh, and take it out even a little bit further. One of the projects we're working on is which college library, and what it's turning into very quickly. It'll open on January 11th. I'm already got, I already got some books for for it in there. There's already some books in there. Um, being very thorough on the idea of copy. One of the biggest things I'm concerned about is copyrights, uh, and I'm looking into what does that really pertain to in, in electronic libraries. And you know what the problem with it is? There's no court to enforce the trademark laws. Not really. And the copyright laws. That's one of the biggest things. Is some of the biggest um, uh, LLMs are, are just devouring books. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just the way it's going to be. But there's a lot we can do to preserve books. Uh, so, and one of the things we can do is have lending libraries. So we're going to have a lending library in Chicago. I think that's going to be really cool. Uh, we're working on it. And I hope by mid uh, by mid next year we'll have an actual physical library in Chicago. Uh, but go, why don't you go ahead? Uh, let me go ahead with one more thing about uh, with you, Melanie. Mm-hmm. Melanie's talking about. But, but who are you? I mean, let's go ahead and get into this a little bit. You are. So where did you begin? Where's your origin story? We can talk about all the things you've done now. But what what was the little Melanie like? Where did she, <laughs> she got caught up in all of this? Oh. Born and raised Chicagoan, uh, lived here all my life, Um, started out in the community in Samhain of 1990 with Panthea Pagan Fellowship UUA, and that was my first public ritual, and I've been going ever since, essentially, uh, exploring all different avenues, attending various events, working with uh, all different people in the community. What got you interested in all of this? Actually, I don't. I don't know the answer to that one. Um, what, well, what, how do you, 
what got you up into it? It got you to that first ritual, that Samhain. Well, coming from a family of mixed religious background, nothing ever seemed right for me. So I started exploring, and I happened to find this, and it seemed right for me. So Mm -hmm. basically, that's what I've been doing ever since. Okay. And so... Okay, let's drag another tooth out. Um, <laughs> so what's your? So you've been on a career for a while. You've you've got a pretty interesting career. You know, Dr. Krista Landon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Learn from her. Uh, Karen Jackson, Hal Story. I mean, you've got a lot more stories, you know, than people realize. Uh, Hal Story, the man with two hearts, was in the Roundtable magazine we published. Yes. Um, now you learned from Carol Jackson uh, some stuff with the uh, Temple of Four Winds. I mean, you have been involved with a lot, and ultimately, um, somehow you ended up at the top of the pan- Panthea. Like you're the heir apparent, or the operational leader, or the last man standing. However you want to <laughs> phrase it. How do how do you phrase it? Well, hmm. I don't know. Um, That's a good question. Uh, Well, actually, when Dr. Landon left Panthea, she left it in charge of uh, Phil and Sandra Tatarzynski, who Mm -hmm. succeeded her. And they held on to it for quite a while. And um, until Sandra passed away uh, quite unexpectedly from an asthma attack. And Phil didn't think he could take on any more responsibility with the group so I decided that you know with the okay of our board of directors at the time that I would be the one who would take over and I held on to it for quite a number of years uh, until I started raising a family and then I uh, turned things back over to Phil who unfortunately never did anything with the charter So we're in the process of rebuilding our charter, getting reinstated with the Unitarian Universalist Association, and uh, I'm working from there. So we need uh, a total of 50 people, uh, according to the UUA, to make us a viable body again, plus reinstating a board of directors. So if anybody who is listening is interested, please feel free to uh, contact me either through Ed or you can contact me through uh, mwpaganwomen at gmail.com. All right. And uh, hold on one second. And why don't you give that to us again? Okay. It's M W M is in Mary, W is in which, mm-hmm. paganwomen at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at Panthea Pagan Fellowship UUA. Okay, and so even as I was speaking into it, it is now in the uh, show notes so that you can find it, no problem. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it. So, so there's a lot of things that are going to be happening and I'm really grateful to have Melanie on board and she's, you know, uh, First one, one of the ways we're working on this, uh, she's our one of our opening guests. One of the, I'm so delighted to be here. So, uh, while we while we do, I got you for a few, uh, for a few more minutes. Is there anything else you'd like to offer at this point in the game of uh, my newest experiment on radio? Well, I'm looking forward to hearing everybody and hopefully speaking with more people along with you and. Um, mm-hmm. After all these years of doing all the radio and other media that you've done, I am very happy to hear you back on the air again because everything has always been so interesting, and I know the community will get a lot out of it. Thank you. And let me make no bones about it for people. People, listen to me. One thing I need is 10,000 listeners as fast as I can. I guess because I've done it a number of times, I really want to do well with it, and uh I want to get on, I want to get into the bigger platforms. Uh, let, me, let me be honest. I want to get on SiriusXM. Um, this is on Spotify now. I'm gonna, you know, so we're on Spotify. 
um, Apple's getting approval for Apple and doing all that. But man, I want to. I really want people. To, I want to do this time, but we needed, you know, done. So I've I've had bigger shows. I mean, people don't remember. You've been, I guess, many times on Pickens Tonight Radio, and as well as other things. But this is the the next big effort, the next kind of energy. And I'm really grateful that you're sharing it with me today. Um, so there you go, um, Melanie Silver, uh, uh, up and coming. So would you call yourself a modern elder? Are you an elder in any aspect? Or would you call yourself a modern elder? Or no, none of that. Well, not, not yet. I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready to call myself an elder quite yet, but I, I suppose okay. with, with my, my experience level, I guess I could be termed a modern elder. Um, you know, I, I, as you said, I've been around the block quite a bit and had a lot mm-hmm. of experience with um, many of the local groups over the years. So, I suppose you qualify me. <laughs> so I think, so when people hear me say elders, elders are like heads of the tradition. There are a lot of people who identify as elders. But there's been this movement emerging, especially people of Generation X, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Really late baby boomers, but Generation X. And the idea is that we're not the same as the, our elders at our own age. We've actually healthier, better off. You know, we have more experiences and things like that. But the idea of a modern elder isn't that we're trying to be sages on the mountains as so much as uh, coaches at, at, the, at the, on the sidelines. They we're part of the game still. We're, we're still playing. We're still trying to help people. And we're still learning. And the idea of a modern elder is, is not to tell you what you need to do or some wisdom or something, but more about coaching, more about being there to help. Um, certainly, we're still learning our paragons to do being – like the super knowledgeable, uh, to the people who are telling the story. Uh, there we go. Well, well, Melanie, thank you for being on with us for this first part of the show. And uh, we will have Melanie back. Great. I look forward to speaking with you again. And congratulations on uh, this new inaugural broadcast. Well, thank you. Um, this will be... Th- this will be my third attempt at really kind of conveying this sort of larger scale radio. So thank you. Um, and so we've been talking to Melanie Silver of Chicago about a number of things and mwpaganwomen at gmail.com is how you can contact her. You can also find her, you know, you know how to find people. This is a very different day and age. And she's really good. If you're in Chicago and really want to make a, a, a real play for tradition and early uh, paganism and the way it works, oh, my gosh, you should be able um, to do so. Uh, so right now, one of the big things is if you want to be part of our shows and sponsor our show, oh, Pagan World Project is, is a big project. And it has multiple things. And, and this is going to be our flagship. So at this point in the game, we're going to be pointing it out there if you want to be on our show. Um, you can contact us at PaganWorldTV at gmail.com and or go to and sign up for Pagan.World and send me a direct message on the system. Uh, we are, we're going to be talking about more about the system. But now let me go ahead and start my conversation with Lisa McSherry. And good day, everybody. We're going to continue our conversation. And today it's our very first interview for the Pagan Book Series. And I'm very fortunate to have Lisa McSherry, one of the virtual pagans of uh, ancient days and also a modern-day writer. And when we talk ancient days, we're talking about the days when we used to sign up by uh, login. You know, you dee, dee, dee. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, motives and things like that. Um, and we've been around, for, been around for a while. But today, we're going to talk to her about her latest book, Travel Magic. Uh, Travel Magic is available at CorelliaPublishing.com. And it's a different take on what she's done. But uh, Lisa McSherry, if you have not heard, she was involved very much in the early days of the AOL tea rooms and all of the sort of forums that existed. And she was one of the first people with uh, Jaguar Coven to actually come out and actually begin building on the idea that we could do magic at a distance. And she formed a lot of the uh, ways and systems that have been in place uh, now that are continue to be practiced to this day. If you ever want to look at the old thing, look at her virtual pagan 1.0. And she's updated it with uh, 2.0, I believe, um, uh, that about this. But this is a different type of book. This is about physicality. 
there isn't very – if you've been looking for her for virtual, she's done a great job of virtual. She's done a great job with Jaguar Moon and a lot of it. But Travel Magic by Lisa McSherry is about physically applying your magic to your travel. And as you know, I do a lot of traveling, so I found it very interesting. So let me, Lisa, Lisa McSherry, welcome aboard today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And I love how you put – you place Travel Magic in such a perfect – uh, example of it's a physical book. It is, it is, I hope people literally take it with them on their Kindle, which isn't physical, but you know, even having a paper copy that they're writing their notes in and dog earing the pages. I'm a dog ear. I confess it. I know it's a sin. Uh, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. it is meant to be a book that you take with you in to some of the more strenuous, nervous-making situations you have in your life, which is travel, which is leaving the comfort of your home <laughs> in any way. And that's what this book is all about. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I do travel, and I love traveling. It is my preference, as people know, that I'm going to get back on the road, uh, and I've got some great interviews when we come and do things like that. But... <clears throat> I'm a fairly experienced traveler, and even I get nervous right before we go. Mm-hmm. Right before I go, I get very nervous. So your book offers you know, like a very calming spell right at the beginning to get you to calm down. Uh, and and I, I understand people who probably do more of it um, have difficulties with it. Can you talk about first, you know, how this book will help them with that, you know, how they can take them through the trip? Yep. Uh, I think it, you know, it starts at the beginning from just even considering whether you want to do a trip. Um, mm-hmm. I talked about different divinations you can do, you know, to sort of, you know, is this a good idea? You know, mm-hmm. let's just start with yes, no, and then right on through to how could this trip look? Well, how can I make this trip something more than just an expensive money and maybe relaxation? You know, which I, mean, I think is what a lot of us want from our travels. But I come from it very much from a perspective of let's let's put some conscious intent into our, you know, this leaving of the home and going into a new adventure. Let's make the best of it. And we do that by sort of engaging with the universe, activating our magic, activating our power, and bringing that into something that is otherwise quite ordinary, extraordinarily ordinary. I mean, travel is kind of a funny place. I mean, it's it's literally liminal from start to finish. We are in a different space. And I happen to think that that is a perfect opportunity to encounter the other and encounter the new in a way that really provokes a new perspective and a new appreciation and connection with other things that are going on. I, I, I can agree with you. My main reason to travel is awe and wonder. I call it awe and wonder. And your book really encapsulates a lot of that. And people always ask me, what do I mean by that? It says, if it takes you out of your mind, if it's something your mind can't process, it becomes awe. Your mind becomes overwhelmed with so much beauty, so much grace, so much whatever it is, it's awe. It overwhelms you. Um, and when that happens, we're finding out there are a lot of really good scientific reasons for that to happen. It really clears your mind because your mind can't hold on to anything. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, all I can do is take this in and now I'm going to try it. And then wonder is, how does that happen? Um, it's the other one. You know, it's like the amazing sights. Your mind's forced to go into itself and say, how did that happen? And do you want it? So those are two different emotions and they're often combined together. And that's a real important part of travel. And you kind of invoke that in Travel Match. One of the things I do like, it's a shorter book, so it's not like this heavy tome that you take. It easily fits. Trust me, it easily fits into your um, outside of your, uh, your your roller bag or paperback. You know, I carry, you know, I carry, everybody knows my duffel bag. So it's really super easy to carry. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about that, that sort of thing. And it's got a lot of fun stories. It's got a lot of energetics. I don't want to go too much into it because I want you guys to do it. But you're right. People do travel for awe and wonder. And I think this book will help with another thing. I do think that people get on the trips and they don't, in the moment, always feel like it's a good trip. Can you talk about that? In the moment, sometimes you get frustrated, you get angry. 
And you've got some well, really good sure. content. I mean, the process of travel in our post 9-11 world is a pain in the patootie in almost every way. I mean, I have, you know, it's part, you know, you asked earlier, actually, why did I write Travel Magic? And mm-hmm. uh, I've actually been traveling since I was a little girl. My parents divorced when I was about seven years old, and my mother lived in the West Coast, and my father lived on the East Coast. So I would do school years with my mom and then summers with my father, and it was always back and forth, back and forth, big, long trips from a very, mm-hmm. very young age. And I've been a magic user. I've been a witch since my teen years. So these are two very long-term passions of mine and, and something I've just been doing for a really, really long time. And when I was writing the book, one of the best things about it was I got to go back to my old, old, old early book of shadows to look for the little bits of spell work that I did to make things better. Because I, st- although I started traveling at an age when it was super easy, I mean, literally, people could walk with you to the gate. My parents, on more than one occasion, walked me onto the plane, said goodbye, left. You know, I mean, like things that just don't happen anymore in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, you could ride cross country on a train by yourself, and you know, at a young age, as a teenager, for example. And, like, the stewards would just make sure that you were fine and no one was bothering you. It was a really different age. It doesn't happen anymore. Um, but still, it's nervous-making to travel. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it literally takes you out of your comfort zone. And um, it's really stressful. And, and the good news, I can tell you, is that people for thousands of years when they travel have found travel stressful and worry-making, and there's old magic and that you can look to to find that, you know, how humans were trying to keep themselves safe when they journeyed into the unknown. And I happen to think, think that things were far more unsafe 2,000 years ago when you had to walk 100 miles to get from one major city to another rather than just getting in your car and driving. But to that end, for example, I was just reading an article in a uh, in an archaeological dig that they just are uh, opening up in Turkey, I believe it is, outside Istanbul. Uh, they discovered a whole cache of sandals that had sigils for protection and health on the journey, carved into the soles of the sandals. And I, yeah. and I love that because that's literally something I talk about in, I think it's chapter four, uh, about, you know, how you can use sigils in your clothing when you travel to, you know, keep you yes. safe, keep protected, bring you a good experience, you know, all the way through. So I, I just love it. I love tapping into the fact that I'm literally talking to my ancestors when I do conscious work when I travel. So you bring up a good point because um, people don't realize the word tourist comes from how we used to go to Europe and how we used to travel. Because travel um, for pleasure, leisure, and business has really changed in the 20th century. The idea of getting into a car – I mean, I tell people all the time I'm amazed. Um, About a year ago, almost literally a year ago today, I I went back into – I left from Las Vegas from a trip. When then, you know, they they took me over to Los Angeles, and then I flew mm-hmm. all the way back to Jacksonville overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I was like, what? It was like this. I crossed the entire country, and a little bit more overnight, and it's like, wow. And uh, I read my own ancestors thinking about how much energy and time it took for them just to travel a couple of miles. The idea of, that we only lived, we only traveled like for a hundred. For most people, and this is true today, you'd be surprised. Most people, majority of people, never travel more than 100 miles from their hometown. Yep. Yep. Uh, There's a in in the United States. It's something like 58% of people don't have passports, mm -hmm. which which means that they are choosing, consciously choosing to never have the opportunity to leave the country. You know, it's like, it just amazes me. It really does. I tell people all the time, you should get your passport. It says it's, if there's no other reason, just for legal recognition, it's a high-level ID. 
but also it gives you an opportunity to travel. I mean, it used to be you could go to Canada and Mexico without a passport, but now that's no longer true. So our world is getting more confined on it, but only in modern terms. I mean, the idea that you can go to any country at any time that you want to, and that, that you can travel the world in 72 hours is an amazing opportunity. But I think it makes people think of travel less amazing, less incredible. It takes mm-hmm. away some of that mystique. Because uh, I've read reports, and even when I was travel, uh, my great-grandfather was a train conductor of the early century. That's where my I love grandfather my... was a train conductor. Yay! Yeah, and that was a very mm-hmm. nice. It was considered very, you know, he would do. He worked out of Chicago. He worked out of uh, that sort of thing uh, when the stations were. It was very elegant. Um, and people don't realize how much travel was done by then or by stagecoach. So this idea of magic protecting you, well, it was this idea that you would were on these unprotected areas. Huge areas were unprotected, and you had to take that risk. Plus, the places you were going wasn't necessarily that. Um, that's strong. So you saw a lot of people go to New York and Boston. Mm-hmm. Now, today we're seeing that travel slip. But you mentioned that, you know, sigils in the shoes, which I think is very interesting. What do you consider the modern equivalent of that? I mean, should people be putting sigils in their shoes? I know you mentioned it in there, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, thank goodness the work of Laura Zakharov Tempest. I mean, she literally has one of the best books I have ever seen on how to create sigils. And I do talk about it a little bit myself in my yeah, book. Sure. There's different ways of going about doing it. But it's the simplest thing in the world to, you know, create a personal symbol for yourself that encompasses what you want, what you need in the moment, and tuck it into your pocket, you know, a piece of chalk on the inside, you know, on, of your jacket, or mm-hmm. turn your pocket inside out and draw, you know, on in the pocket. Or write it on your shoes, you know, on the inside, on the sole. There's a variety of things that aren't permanent, you know, that can be done. And I think that's just as important because our needs change. Uh, and also, uh, you know, so here's the thing. When we travel as magic users, we don't carry our tools with us, right? I mean, for the most part, we, we really don't. Maybe we'll have an object or... Um, you know, I have a magical tin that I work with. Um, I have a variety of little altars in, in containers that I'll take with me. Um, but, you know, we can't take our atome, right? We're not going to bring our wand or a big candle. You know, it's just like we don't have the room in our carry-on <laughs> to carry anything, you know, too large. Um, so making do with what we find around us mm-hmm. is a big part of how I view you know, being magical on the go, if you will. Um, so a napkin and a pen will give you a sigil that you can carry that, you know, helps you get that little alignment, that little energetic boost that you need to transform a situation into one where you feel more confident, where you feel like it's going to turn out well, where you avert problems and such. Um, you know, and then... And then otherwise it's about being a little bit more aware and a little bit more conscious. And I think the hardest thing for people actually with travel is getting around the idea that you, that travel isn't necessarily international. It isn't a week long trip to Bora Bora. It's not, um, you know, Mexico. It's not crossing borders necessarily. It can be as much as driving down the road to visit family, coming into the holiday season. Many of us are going to be visiting family, whether of blood or choice. And that's also travel. You're entering an unknown situation. There's plenty of work that you could do to make that a much more interesting and provocative situation um, that gives you a good juju, as I like to think of. And actually, I will offer for people who are big cities. I find myself um, using some of it, especially to help me make connections. I like that because in the city, I take a subway train. I people don't know people that, who know me for a long time. No, I literally do not drive. I you can't get me behind the wheel. I just won't go there. Sorry, there's a whole lot of reasons, but it's like uh, and it's become a handicap. I mean, I'm not going to kid you. The inability to drive has been a bit of it, but you know, it's in tricky the, in America. Mm-hmm. 
Well, no, it's just, yeah. Uh, I startle. I do, as people know I startle when I drive, and that's a dangerous thing to be as a driver. And Very I'm 60 nice. years old, and you, if I could have driven, I would have. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but in that same thing, you do take buses and trains. So I'm an active public transportation user. I'm a big believer in it. It's been useful. I've taken it everywhere in the world. Everybody, there's some form of public transportation everywhere in the world, just about, even if, it's just, if, it's, if it's just your feet. But having said that, you know, people have a hard time of thinking of, of the journey. So how do people get themselves, you know, for people who have that, how do they get themselves better in mind for their journey? They're going to travel to go see their aunt in Kentucky. They're going to go to New York to go see the beautiful, you know, Macy's Parade. There's a lot of wonderful times. They're going to go to Pasadena this year to see the Rose Bowl Parade. I mean, there's a lot of travel coming up into our culture right now. And this is why you should get this book at CorellianPublishing.com right now and or your favorite Amazon shop. Uh, it's available right there, right now. You can get it in time for travel. But having said that, this is a heavy time of year for travel. So what can people do to help them uh, besides take buy your book and read it, uh, of course, of course that's the, the thing. But more importantly, how do we kind of build into the idea? What can they do to help them control their anxieties or their journeys and look forward more to these journeys? Um, well, that's a really long answer, but I will shorten it a bit uh, to, to say uh, the first most important thing to do is to actually take the time, take a little bit of time, mm -hmm. and think about what they want to have happen in this journey. So don't just make the journey because you've got to make the journey, but actually say, all right, I'm going to go see Aunt Jones. All right, you know what? I want to hear Aunt Jones' stories from her childhood because it, that is a way for me to help connect with my ancestors that I don't already have. So I want that to happen. Make, you know, make that intention, or that's a really specific one, or a really broad one is, I want to have a good time. I want to get there without weather anxiety, and I want to get there safe, and I want to have a good time. Just, like, let's make this a good experience. There, okay, real broad or real specific. For either one of those, just thinking about how you want that to happen, and then considering what, what kind of symbols or um, what makes sense for you. I personally really like stones. They're easy. They slip in your pocket. You can hold it to give you a little, you know, cue to remember what it is that you're there for. They don't break. <laughs> you know, they're, I mean, they're stones. Uh, and they're pretty easily available. And finding one for peace and harmony, little rose quartz, goes a long way. Uh, one for connecting to your ancestors, eh, that might be hematite for you, maybe bloodstone, I don't know. Uh, there are stones that each that will respond to you and that you will respond to that make it really easy to go. And they're also deeply unobtrusive. So if you're with people who don't get the fact that you're an alternative spiritual practitioner, you don't have to bring it up. It's, you know, it's not like your clothes are crackling from papers with sigils written on them to go back to that. It's a little, it's just a little thing. But the first most important thing is always what is the intention? What do you want to have happen? And mm -hmm. then you work towards that. And I've seen that. I actually had a friend, an older friend who's now passed, but in his early days, he used to write his name on both of his arms before he traveled uh, as a sigil. And he goes, he goes, why? He says, well, in his his old statement was the devil comes up to you unawares, and now I'm ready for him. And the idea was is that he wanted to be able to be identified in case he ever got into an accident. So he took his fear, his mm -hmm. greatest fear of something happening along the road. He says, "Well, how can I solve this?" And he would write his his name like a sigil on both of his arms. And uh, I thought that was an odd thing, but as I've traveled older, like, okay, I get that, you know. Yeah, because we've never had a safer uh, – people don't realize travel is safer than it has ever been in the history of humankind, just by far. Uh, plane accidents, you know, people from planes, one out of 20 
125 million people. One in 125 million people. And so, and so, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm okay. So let me go with uh, uh, one last piece for this, our first piece on, on Pagan Books. Um, you've done a lot of books. You've done Travel Magic now. I know you've got a number of other books. Uh, but what is it about Travel Magic that's why did you know we talked a little bit about what you wrote but why is it was that one of the more important books because i can imagine you could have just as easily written a lot more of the books that you're known for this was a fun book i will tell you it's fun so if you want a book Thank that's you. fun this is yeah. really a lot of fun, you my, other, it's fun. Pretty, my other books are a little bit more uh teaching they're more you know hey you don't know this so let me show you how to do this how to work with it mm -hmm. kind of thing which I do to some degree in travel magic. I mean, I've been teaching for 20 years, teaching newcomers to, to witchcraft for about 20 years now. And so it's kind of baked into me. Um, but you're right. I think this is a much more fun book. Uh, for me, it's very different because there's a lot of personal stories. I mean, like all of the images in the book basically are from me, from the pictures I have taken over the years in various places or all the drawings are actually my drawings, and I am far from being Van Gogh about uh, my art, but it's there so you can actually see a real person doing a real thing. You know, there's there's no gloss here. There's no trying to be fancy. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's actually what makes it very approachable. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's me, and it's my experiences. I lived it. Um, and because I've just sort of, and I always look at it as I've just sort of walked this path a little ahead of you or just before you, and now I can bring back some information about it for you to go and have a better time and, you know, do well, you know, which is what any travel guide book does, right? It, it just mm -hmm. helps you have a better opportunity in a place that's completely strange and unknown. So that's, I mean... Yeah, I think so. It's, I wrote it really quickly. There is, it's, I don't believe in channeling or anything like that, but this book just really came together, and I knew what I wanted to say. I didn't even know before I sat down what the words were, but it was just bloom right on out. Uh, and it's, uh, it was fun. <laughs> it was really, really fun. And, um, and, and so good, and it has been. So we've been talking uh, our first Pagan Book Talk. We've been talking to Lisa McSherry, Travel Magic. Find it on Amazon and or Corellian Publishing. And if you're a wholesaler, you should be getting this in. I know you're going to see it on all the festivals. I've been talking out there. You're going to see this book. You should pick it up. You should get it ahead of time because then you can have the conversation with others. Because this is going to be a very talked about book next year. Well, thank you, Lisa, for sharing this with us. Uh, any last thoughts you want to share with our people before? Uh, we bring this to a close. It's been great talking with you as usual, Ed. You know, I always love talking to you. Uh, and if you have anyone has any questions or would like to talk to me directly, I can always be found through my website, lisamcherry.com. My name is easy to find on the Internet. And I look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. And so uh, we'll be right back after this message. And blessed be. <laughs> and the message is you can have your commercial right here. Join Pagan World as a vendor or a sponsor. Uh, and we can do so. Uh, Divine Intentions has done so. And if you want to check them out, check out their commercials. We also have My Missing Gem. We have Roma G. We're going to have a lot more fun with our sponsors. And this November 24th, we're beginning an auction. For Pagan World is going to be raising money through auctions. More on that tomorrow because we will have uh, Reverend Mary Hawk. Uh, Peggy World TV's president, but also the leading movement on the witch rising movement. And tomorrow we're going to talk about protested pagans. We're going to talk all about what's happening out there um, that is affecting so many pagans of being broken up uh, from from last year's Yule against Krampus all the way into breaking the magic circle of the Salem witches with a crucifix. Yes, a crucifix was taken to the center of a pagan circle against their wishes. Oh yeah, more about that tomorrow. Salem on Salem with uh with Reverend Mary Hawk of Witch Rising. 
But we're going to continue our today of this with uh, Melanie Silver. She has come on through the thing, and we're going to take uh, questions at 319-527-6778. And I also, you can also put them on my page, and we're going to have so many other ways to communicate. Um, but I'm going to answer the one question before uh, I bring Melanie back on. And the question is, why am I doing audio, and will I be doing video alongside with this? Tonight has no video with it. I'm getting back to audio because I'm finding myself preoccupied with other things in video. I just can't sustain video for myself. Um, I need a bigger team. I'm not comfortable with everything that's happening. But with audio, this is where I started. Uh, This is how I began. Um, I like audio. I like the theater of the mind. I like voice. And podcasting is still a highly, highly uh, growing field. And so, hey, Melanie, you're back. And Melody was there. She literally was there um, when I first started my radio career. Oh, yes. I remember it well. <laughs> it was a lot of <laughs> well, fun, too. Yeah. It started in March of 1991 uh, with Psychic Chicago, Psychic Chicago Radio. Um, people don't realize the way I got into radio was that I was running a psychic office right at the beginning of the, the Ms. Cleo and the 900 numbers um, because people didn't believe you could get a good reading over the phone, and then they did, and so I was, uh, but they didn't at the time they did. They had to go to offices, so I had an office. And uh, Captain Infinitesimal Steve, uh, Scott Smintek uh, came in, and uh, along with Tracy uh, Logan, and... Um, and she came in, and they basically, he said he works for a radio station. He'd love to have it. And he go, oh, really? He said, yeah, I'm the radio manager. He go, I'd love to advertise. And he told me, don't advertise. It just You get lost, you spend money, and you wouldn't really get anywhere. But he says, you could buy an hour of radio time and get your message across. You'd get a better return on it. And that was Psyche Chicago Radio ah, in 1991. I've been yep, doing radio ever really- since. <laughs> before the internet uh, took oh, over. Yeah. Not that much more. I mean, I would do, uh, go on to do IRC radio. I mean, I did that in 89. 99 to 2000 was telepathic radio. Uh, then, of course, 2009 we began the, the big run of Pegasus Night Radio. Magic, uh, Magic TV. So we've had a lot. And, uh, well, see, this is it. People don't realize I also had a magazine for, we had a magazine for over 100 issues. Uh, Don was the editor. I was the publisher. Lots of writers uh, called uh, first Shaggy Chicago Magazine for about 16, 17 issues. Then it became Roundtable Magazine. Um, and it was a big communication system in the 90s, all the way up to about 98. We ran it from 92 to 98. And uh, I tell people, they don't realize how much energy has gone into the movement, how we've really advanced with technology. As it's advanced, we've advanced. Well, definitely. I mean, all the different lines of communication that have uh, cropped up over the years, and we've taken advantage of every single one of them and continue to do so. You know, and Chicago was brilliant about that. Chicago, people don't realize we had one, uh, Donna Cole was one of my, bless her soul, my, um, you know, my initiate mother is a gardenarian, you know, my upline, as they call it nowadays, Uh she did the Temple of Sacred Stones. It was one of the first public temples that actually met in a person's house, the basement that they rebuilt for the purpose. And uh, they, we were able to have public, uh, you know, public initiations, public rituals, public everything within the guardian tradition and protected in that way. You know, it was a much, so people say, oh, it's so much more difficult. It was a different time. But, you know, people get, are really mad about the idea that we are, you know, it's too easy to get information, too easy to get knowledge. Well, it used to be where you had to basically dig for books, if you could even find them. Uh, trying to hunt down a group of any kind at some points was almost impossible. Um, mm-hmm. I remember back in the in the 90s when I found Panthea, I found them through a publication called The Reader. This is pre-internet, folks. Uh, the Reader was a... Local, it's still around in, in some form, but it was a local newspaper that had everything going on around the Chicagoland area, 
uh, from art exhibitions to film, uh, events of all kinds. And then they had a little section in the back that had all the um, want ads and other things going on. And a lot of the groups would post their events there. Oh, I posted a lot of information there. It was one of the cheaper advertising methods. And the paper was like, you know, it was good. I mean, it was, you know, it was cheapish. I mean, it was, you, you could afford it. Uh, yeah. I, I remember putting all the Pagan Expos in there. We put a lot of events. So now I think one of the things is, so you know what that's called? So communities grow by something called... Uh, that I find very interesting. Um, I'm writing my finishing up my book on technomancy. I want it out by my birthday. And my birthday this year will be celebrated in Chicago on the Day of the Dragon. Yes, that's right. My birthday after an extended year of the rabbit, which is my first year, we will be having a party in Chicago on the year of the dragon. Watch for it. Um, highly energetic. But, um, the moment to have technomancy is, but it's called technological determinism. And it's basically the idea that your technology determines your growth and the, and the direction of your growth. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. You'll have to send me a copy of the book and maybe I'll interview you on this station. Well, absolutely. Well, everybody will know <laughs> when I've read the book. Um, Everybody will know I've already started making a commitment for it. I'm, I'm work, really working on it. But one of the things I think that we're doing, so this is technological determinism. I mean, I'm just expanding on what we've already done. I mean, we are Chicagoans. I mean, we're both proud Chicagoans. You know, I don't think people realize how deep this, you know, everybody talks about uh, the idea of it, um, of the energy that we have, the type of uh, things that we do. And, and people don't realize how much magic is in Chicago. I was just sharing the other day. There was a time convention met here on October 11th, 1883, where all the railroads came together, and they decided to set the four time zones. And then they had all the train stations adopted on November 18th, and Chicago did too. It was the first major city to do so. It held the convention. And the railroads didn't expect the cities to do so. And before you knew it, it swept over the world, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. we went from an asynchronous clocks or kind of synchronized clocks all over the world 49 different time zones just in uh at the on the railroads to four and it really changed everything and and the cities adopted it and where did that happen out of chicago Mm -hmm. and i believe that the jewelry store that sold the watches that were authorized by the railroads was at the Blackstone mm-hmm. Hotel, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were the official authorized watches that every person who worked on the railroad had to purchase because they were synchronized two o'clock at that location. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. But when people talk about time and being time being constructed, and we play with time as magicians all the time and all of that, right? I do find mm-hmm. it fascinating. I do absolutely find it fascinating. Chicago was at the center of it. Um, so for people who want to know where, if I'm willing to go into some of the conspiracy stuff, because everybody knows. So I guess for the last 30 years or so, I've had to be a more proper pagan and things like that. But people who know me know I absolutely am a believer in time travel. I think I've been affected by it. Oh, yeah. I'm not a time traveler myself, but I've been affected by time travel. Sometimes I think I'm a type of part of the guinea pigs. But do you know Chicago actually has, if you were to mark the Anthropocene age, which is the age of man changes things, do you know Chicago's at the center of it? Oh, it wouldn't and surprise people, me. And do you know why? No, of course nope. not. Most people don't. <laughs> because we had the first nuclear reaction out of Sol- uh, Soxfield. The first detection of a major wave by any alien species or any outside species would be the Fermi, Dr. Fermi at Sox Park out of the University of Illinois in Chicago, you know, and that whole group of Chicago University, I'm sorry, not UIC, University of Chicago, did the first nuclear, controlled nuclear reaction. Right, and it was under the bleachers. Under the bleachers. And from that point, that was that was the first really detectable signs of radiation. 
There were other things, but that was the first real exchange. And so if you were a time traveler, you were looking over it, it would be like suddenly a big beep. And then from that point on, Chicago, the largest IM tower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am, yeah. We have the biggest that. People don't realize the Masons here, so they always talk about other cities. I don't get this. They talk about Washington, D.C., New York, but no one ever talks about Chicago. And it's not a conspiracy here. We actually did have real kind of space and time magicians actually really build things here in Chicago. Daniel Durham, make no small plans. You know, vision the great, you know, the great beauty of the lake. So. Well, if Chicago is an outlier in many things, and uh, being mm-hmm. the heart of the Midwest like we are, and uh, one of the biggest cities, we definitely have a lot of people who their brain power just comes up with all these wonderful things, and we have to harness that. Yep. So, folks, I'm going to give out the number one more time, 319-527-6778. So, Melody, we're going to close with a a final conversation about the Parliament of the World's Religions. Um, We conducted, again, in Chicago, Mm -hmm. celebrating its 130th anniversary, held three times in Chicago, and five times elsewhere. Ed, that's only eight. Oh, one time (laughs) virtually, Uh, which was everywhere. Um, but uh, but you were there this time. I mean, you were there with your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I was. And uh, yesterday we celebrated Transgender Day. If you have not seen it, we did a ritual. Um, and it is on Pagan World TV, so you check it out. Anything you want to find, go to Pagan.World and register. You can register for free. Um, boy, I'm still scratchy at that, but I was pretty good with that one. Um. So people don't realize, yeah, we're going to have a very, uh, we're going to talk commercial, we're going to talk business and everything else. But you attended, and you attended, this was the first time you attended it. Yes. I'd been wanting to attend previous, the previous ones, but I uh, was unable to, but this time I was able to. And my daughter, who uh, had, was only 17 at the time, she's just since turned 18, uh, wanted to go. And I thought this would be a great way to expose her to people from all over the world. Not that she hasn't had a lot of that experience already. We live in a very diverse community. Um, But I wanted her to see how other people believe what they're like to talk to people. And, you know, she met a few people that were her own age. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she got quite a lot out of it, actually. She she served as as my second uh, for the temple. And um, I think she rather enjoyed it. We uh, spent time in the uh, the Langer tent, which is the, uh, the free feast run by the Sikh community, and that was a wonderful experience. We talked to people from Australia, from China, from Singapore, literally everywhere. And uh, that was just there one of the most marvelous things and I know she enjoyed that immensely because we love Indian food, so that was kind of a an easy thing to uh, to do mm-hmm. for us. And um, picking up the various books and other publications that we picked up from the different vendors, spending time talking with them, and just learning to understand how you know similar we actually are. I mean, yeah, we come from different parts of the world. We believe differently a little bit in some instances, different dress, different food. But as human beings, we're not all that different. And I think a lot of people have lost sight of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 have, I do think that is it. Because um, you know, uh, we, we did some amazing rituals. There was a powerful pagan ritual that you know, we were involved with uh, for peace. And uh, I think that it continues. And so we're going to be talking more. That's going to be one of the things we interweave here is about peace and the peace in the world. All right, folks. I think, Melanie, do you have any last thoughts before we sign off for the airwaves on our first inaugural, not first. I always get that. You know, I don't get annoyed by many grammar things. 
when they say first annual. No, it's not first annual. There is no such thing as a first annual. It's inaugural. It's your inaugural event. Mm-hmm. And well, it's only if you if you only hold a second one is it annual. Sorry. No, that's okay. Well, I I look forward to talking with different people we're going to talk with and mm-hmm. learning all the different things that we're going to learn. And, um, you know, people don't forget to uh, contact either Ed or myself if you have a book you're looking to promote. Mm-hmm. And uh, we definitely are interested. So thank you very much for uh, having me on tonight, Ed. I'm glad to have you. And uh, folks, Started the show with 17 views. I need to get 10,000. I'm going to be honest about it. One of the things we're going to talk about, honestly, because we want to see how fast we can grow, how big I can do it. And the only way I can do it is by serving your interests. That's right. i got to be interesting, and we got to be relevant. And so there we go. Tomorrow, Witch Rising. Today, Melanie Silver, amazing, uh, part of the our crew, people you'll see in our guests. It's going to be something. Join Pagan.World, but guess what? Tomorrow... Mary Hawk and all these protests. Oh my gosh, do it. And uh, and then more to come. We got a lot more coming. So blessed be and enjoy your evening. And we'll be back tomorrow, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, and 8 a.m. the very next day in the Philippines. Blessed be. Blessed be. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.